0: This is the Converge podcast. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at Heritage Baptist Church in the chapel. This is a group that is geared towards those who are young adults who want to follow
1: Jesus and live the gospel life wherever the journey takes them.
0: So we're just holding mics to look good. There's also a huge ceiling to take all the sound away. So that's pretty awesome. today, and and then, after that, Josh, who is usually kicking things off, is going to teach today from our series in the book of John, so we're excited to have Josh share today. Uh, If you didn't hear it before, our mics aren't working, so I can hold this if that makes you guys feel better or anything, Uh, but it's not going to do anything. Number one, if you want to keep up with what we're doing, uh, even you know this summer, which we're given some space for summer to be summer, but we are uh, we have a few things like small groups that still happen and and we're going to have some get-togethers. But if you want to keep up with that, the best way to do that is to text at HBConverge to 81010. That's our Remind app. We send out messages through it to update you on stuff. Um, even like Couple weeks ago, when we did the muffins, we set, we sent a reminder with that. Um, next week, we'll try to send a reminder to tell you that we're not meeting next week. All right, there's no converge next week because there's only one combined service, and it's at 10:30 next week. I've got. Hold on, I got a picture for that for you. Maybe is it here? No, that's the hub. Combined service next Sunday. July 3rd at 10.30, so that you can spend some extra time with your family, or typically people travel a lot during the 4th of July weekend, so we're combining services next Sunday. Don't come here or the chapel. By the way, I'm really glad you found us here. How many of you were in Converge, when Converge met in here regularly? Okay, like almost nobody. Well, this was our home for a year, right? One of our four homes for, yeah, over the last five years, so this is our home for a year, but we're so excited about what the chapel gives us, but we're, we're here because the gym floor is being replaced, and thank <laughs> you, Pastor Kent, uh, it'll be really exciting, and if you go in the right places, it smells really strong today, so you can go get a whiff of that, uh, the kids that meet in the gym, typically, couldn't meet there today and they're bigger than us. So they got the chapel, we came here, and now we're, uh, we'll be back there in two weeks. Since next week there's no Converge anyway, it's no big deal. All right, uh, we got a special announcement from Catherine, I think. Is that true? All right, come on up. All right, lastly, or next to last, we do have small groups. They are on different schedules for the summer as people travel. Keep up with the Remind app to know when and where those are meeting. Um, And then for sure, for sure, and for small group leaders, if you didn't ask yet, uh, we won't meet during the week of the 4th of July. We won't have small groups at all. We won't have converts that week. We won't have anything that week. All right, anything else coming from the church, you can find out on the hub. Uh, at hbclinchburg.com hub and that's where you can go for upcoming events and other things that are happening around here not specifically Converged stuff today we have a special guest here to um, come and share with us as, uh, as the pastor, the executive pastor of the church, this is Pastor Kent, some of you are very familiar with Pastor Kent At Heritage, we have uh, a process called the Pathway of Family Discipleship. And in that, the first step is family dedication. And so we have two of our leader families that have participated in that, and Pastor Kent is here to present that for them.
2: Excellent. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Oh, there you go. Thank you. All right. Um, this is prevent or proactive, something. We got back from camp. Unfortunately, we've had, I think, several tests positive with COVID now that they've come back home. So I'm gonna do a little like distance family dedication thing. There'll be no laying on of hands today. So no spreading of anything. All right, so um, so what is family dedication? And really the reason we went to family dedication was uh, into the communities um, because we used to, how many have seen like a baby dedication? All right, everybody stands up like, oh, look how cute. And then my like, kids throw throwing up and they're messing up, right? During the prayer and all that stuff, right? So baby dedication was one of those things to where it's really about the parents. It's really about the family. Um, and we found there's no greater place of support and encouragement and all of the things that a community is supposed to be within the church than the discipleship community. You guys are a discipleship community. And two of your family leaders um, have decided that they want to participate in this covenant ceremony uh, of family dedication. So I just wanted to talk about what family dedication is just for a few moments for the marshals, for the Erdvigs, and uh, what is family dedication about? It really is making a commitment to be the person, spouse, and parent that God has called you to be. And we have this ceremony really to emphasize the commitments that I'm going to talk about in just a moment. But it's more than just this one-time thing of like hey this is what we agreed to and it's over it's really agreeing to these commitments and abiding by them and really recognizing that hey we are deciding and committing to these and now this is just the beginning it really is one of those things and and these families are already doing this all right um but it's now this emphasis of commitment in front of you those that they are serving and working with because they are basically saying in front of the church hey this is what we're committing to this is what we want to be held even accountable to, and that's part of the responsibility. I'm going to go over here at the end of what is the community responsibility in this thing called family dedication. So there's three main principles concerning the covenants and the commitment aspect, and those th- three. And, and you might be thinking, "Hey, I'm not married. I don't have kids yet. What what is the big deal about this?" Well, let me let me tell you this. Every person, once you basically are uh, of age and outside of your parents' home, you are a family unit, single, married, married with kids, that's a family unit, so, see, this is, it's, it's baby dedication, that's what it is. This is, what happens, right, so, I mean, this is family dedication, but this, it's perfect, it's all good, I, I've, I've caused other people to cry in youth groups, so it's okay, um, The people know this, that are in here. Uh, here's the three main principles here's principle one personally follow and seek the Lord Matthew 6.33 seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness all these things will be added to you You know, no matter where you find yourself what stage of life whether you're single, married, married with, without kids or married with kids your first and foremost priority in your spiritual walk is you personally it has got to start there you can't rely on your spouse to fix you nor can you fix your spouse if you're thinking marriage will solve whatever, no, marriage just complicates things. You have to start personally. And if all of you or if any of you are, you know, I'm single I'm, I'm in no relationship, good, work on yourself. I'm single and I'm in a relationship, good, work on yourself. I'm single and I'm engaged, good, work on yourself. I'm married, work on yourself. Personal holiness is principle number one. The second aspect of this uh, family dedication is to pursue your spouse and honor the Lord in marriage. I could talk a lot about this. But in Ephesians 5 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I hope you caught the emphasis of what I spoke there. Everything we are to be doing within marriage is only through the power and abilities of Jesus Christ. If we're to honor and love our spouse well. And we do those things as husband to our wife wife to husband godly as to the Lord. Not because they deserve it. All right, Tara honors and respects me. That's my wife. Tara honors and respects me. Definitely not because I deserve it most of the time, but because she loves the Lord and wants to honor the Lord by how she treats me. And that's that's the premise of how we're to honor our spouse. And that's the second aspect of this. Looking to get married me, I'm talking to I know most singles here, but to these couples here that are about maybe ready to make this. It's personal holiness first, then it's pursuing your spouse and honoring the Lord in your marriage. And I hope as you, maybe if you're single, maybe you're in a relationship, you're looking to get married someday. Do not neglect the thought process of this personal holiness first. And then how do you honor the Lord by how you treat that person you're in the relationship with as you pursue your spouse? The last principle is children are a gift and are the Lord's. First Samuel 1 Samuel 1.28, God blessed Hannah with a child and she dedicated him to the Lord. You know, as parents, one of the hardest things is we like this thing called control. Okay, well, some of you like control too and you're just single, but you know what I'm saying? It's like you always want to control, so what do you try to do? You might you might hover around your children you try to protect them. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with protecting them, but if we spend our entire lives as parents trying to almost control and manipulate the outcome, we've missed the whole thing, and that is that we are to steward what God has We are to oversee it we are to shape it but we cannot make the mistake as parents to think that those little ones are ours they are a blessing from god and we are to steward them as he has given us a responsibility to steward something that is his they are his and they are precious so based on those three principles we have three commitments within this covenant and the (laughs) commit ready english here we go commitment number one Personal, I will choose this day to live with the commands of God with my own heart. Commitment two has to do with marriage. I will pursue my spouse and honor the Lord in my marriage. And the commitment number three is concerning parenting. It says I will love my child with the unconditional love of Christ and accept responsibility to be my child's primary faith trainer. That is one of the things that we emphasize heavily in this family dedication the church is a nice supplement to come alongside the family. Other materials and other other families are good supplements, but it is the parents who is the primary faith instructor of their children. It is not the church's responsibility. It is not. And we are trying That was amen. Yes, all right. So at this time, I would like to ask the marshals, you guys will will we'll maintain a little distance here or whatever, all right? If you guys could Marshalls, josh and christina and family if you come this way roger and stacy irving if you guys come this way and i want to and you guys can follow along as parents please with this covenant and i want to read the covenant and if you guys would agree to this at the end we will say or you will say we will here's the covenant recognizing the wonderful privilege and responsibility i have as a believer before the lord and before the church i commit to pursue a relationship with jesus christ Seeking to bring honor and glory to Christ, I will abide in him and live on mission out of the overflow of a loving relationship with him. As I follow Christ, I commit to make followers of Christ as I live the gospel life among the nations. Also, recognizing the wonderful privilege and responsibility of marriage, we commit to seek after the Lord and bring him honor in our marriage. We will strive to live out the God-given roles of husband and wife, reflecting the love relationship between Jesus and his bride, the church. We understand that our marriage is not designed first for happiness, but for holiness and pointing others to Christ. And lastly, recognizing the wonderful privilege and responsibility of parenthood, we commit to seek the Lord and bring him honor in raising our children. We commit to intentionally teach and model the gospel life within our household. If you agree with that commitment and say you will abide by it, please say "We we will. Amen. Before I pray over these families, you guys also have a responsibility. It is, the, it is the community commitment as well. And there's four different things I'm going to go through super quick. And the first thing is, are you walking the path? Are you walking your spiritual journey out in front of these families? You know, you've heard the phrase, kind of, it takes a village. I do and don't like that phrase at the same time, okay? <laughs> but let me tell you this, there is, there, there is almost nothing more impactful on these little lives than seeing people a little further down the path, besides their parents, live out their faith. You guys can have much influence over these young little lives. You can have great influence of not only these little ones, but other little ones throughout here that you serve with Awana, or you might be a small group leader, or you might work in the nursery, or you might just, they might see you throughout the hallways and they look up to you. Are you walking the path personally? Where are you at in your spiritual journey? Are you seeking the Lord first in all you do? The next thing, let me encourage you, if you're a follower of Christ, are you leading? As believers, we are all tasked of coming together, coming alongside other believers to do what? To encourage, to lead, to help, to be an example for, and the list goes on and on and on. Let me encourage you, are you helping model Christianity for these families up here? Encouraging not only mom and dad, but encouraging the little kiddos as well. Encouraging them, encouraging mom and dad in their marriage and their family to walk with the Lord. As a community, are you loving? First Corinthians thirteen four through eight, four through eight, lays out what biblical love practically look like looks like, and it's an incredibly challenging passage of what agape love should look like, the love of Christ. And you guys can be one of the things that I see and have observed through Dave and others. You guys, are, you guys demonstrate this a lot. You love people where they're at. You embrace them where they're at. You welcome them. That's why things are growing down here. And, and it's just attractive, the love of Christ. Are you loving? And the last one is, are you interceding? As an individual, are you praying for these people up here? Are you praying for each other? As a community, are you praying for your leaders? And are, you, are you also praying for each other? There's almost no greater thing you can do than be praying. Praying for each other and praying for these up here. And at this time, we are going to go ahead and pray for these families. And I'm going to pray for you guys as well. But if you'd please join me in. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. Uh, I thank you for family. Lord, I thank you for Roger and Stacy. I thank you for Josh and Christina. Lord, I thank you for their examples. I thank you for their desire to, to live their lives for you. I, I am so thankful for their examples, for them modeling what Christianity should look like. Lord, not perfectly. No one's perfect. But they desire to bring you honor and glory by living their lives to bring uh, just, just to magnify your name. Lord, I pray for their marriage. Lord, Satan would like nothing more to destroy their marriage. I pray for the health of their marriage. I pray that they would would let small things within their marriage remain small things, Lord, that they would process things well, that that they would seek you together. And, uh, Lord, we look forward to the, the plans that you have for them in the future. Father, I pray that you would be with their families. Protect them as mom and dad. Would help them to, to work hard to be on the same page in instilling biblical principles and guide their children well. Lord, I pray that you would draw the hearts of these children to you, that each and every one of them would accept you as Lord and Savior, that they would humble, uh, humble their lives, that they would recognize their need for a Savior, and that they would bow their knee to you as Lord and Savior. We pray for that. Father, protect this family. Lord, thank you for the converged community, and it is a community a group that loves one another. Lord, may they continue to do so well. May they pray for one another. May they take the spiritual responsibility that we all have very seriously to encourage one another, to lift up one another, to, to strive to, to be the best, that, uh, even follower of You that they can possibly be, to be an encouragement to those around them. Lord, may this community just continue to do great things and help uh, shape people for your kingdom. And we ask all of this in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. Last thing is a little gift from the church. Um, more work. A little reading here for you guys. On mm-hmm. family discipleship. If you guys could give these families a round of applause. Please. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. All um, right. you guys. Commitments for you guys to hang on to. A little, uh, who am I turning this over to? Dave? Somebody? Yeah. Am I speaking? Yeah. You guys?
1: Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Kent, for leading that off. Thank you guys for all of your prayers, and I appreciate that for us, for the Erdvigs, for the Ashburns. We did this with them a couple of months back. Um, I I saw a quote from uh, Charles Spurgeon uh, recently where he said essentially into it to a church he was pastoring and this is from memory so I'm probably not going to get it quite right but he said something along the lines of um, let me know if you're going to stop praying for me uh, because if you do want to stop praying for me I'll just stop teaching stop preaching stop leading. Um, so he's like, that is foundational to doing this. That's foundational to that. And he's like, actually, you know what? If you're going to stop praying for me, just let me know. I'll, I'll go sit in my grave now. <laughs> you know, it's just like, if, if, that's, if you guys aren't going to do that, then I'll just go ahead and hang it all up now. Um, and that was, uh, that was an interesting thought that that is, that is something that is so foundational to everything that we do. So I'm going to be continuing in the Come and See series today. Uh, We've been working through the stories of Jesus as they're found in the book of John. And today I've got John 17, the high priestly prayer. So um, there's a lot to cover. So I'm just going to dive straight in. Um, And by that, I mean, it starts off with when Jesus had spoken these words. So uh, before we really get into chapter 17, we're going to go back some. So (laughs) keeping in mind. This is, this is chapter 17. This is the end of Passover night. So this night started in chapter 13. So a, a bulk of the book of John is all happening in this day. In chapter 13 we have uh, there we go. We have Jesus washing the disciples' feet in 13:1 through20. We have observing Passover and foretelling G- Judas' betrayal. We have the new commandment in thirteen thirty-one through 35. We have the foretelling of the de- denial of Peter also in thirteen thirty-one through 35. He lays out the way, the truth, and the life in 14, 1 through 14. Promises the Holy Spirit in 14, 15 through 31. Then Jesus explains the vine and the branches, warns of the hatred of the world, foretells the work of the Holy Spirit, encourages them despite his leaving, telling them specifically that their sorrow will turn into joy in the middle of chapter 16 and that he has overcome the world in uh, the end of chapter 16. So that's all preceding this. It's after Jesus said these things then. So a couple of things I want to pull out of from this. We've already spent some time on these, so I'm not going to dwell on this too much. But you see these themes again in Jesus' prayer. So in John 13, 31 through 35, it says, When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man Lord and God is glorified in him. Is that the, okay, air conditioning. Not a movement of the spirit yet, but I'm open. Um, Now if the son of man is glorified, now is the son of man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now also I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And then in chapter 15, he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. This is starting in verse 9. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full this is my commandment that you love one another as i have loved you greater love is no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friend you are my friends if you do what i command you no longer do i call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing but i have called you friends for all that i have heard from my father i have made known to you you did not choose me but i chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name he may give it to you These things I command you, so that you will love one another. And then in John 16, right at the end of the chapter, Jesus says, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you'll do all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Like That's what it took? Now you're finally believing me because I said this to you today? Do you now believe, behold, the hour is coming? Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered. So not only did it take this long for you to believe, but will that belief is about to be tested. Each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. When Jesus had spoken these words, that gets us right here in chapter 17. Jesus goes straight from this discord to the high priestly prayer, to the prayer that we're going to be studying in chapter 16. So you can see from all this, from this big night of Passover, that Jesus is really preparing his disciples for his departure. He's getting ready to leave. The last three years for a lot of them have been what's supposed to be this Christology degree for the, the early church. And this is their capstone. Jesus is reviewing everything that they know and working through this, and it seems like it might be a little bit disappointing at parts how much of this is striking them as new material, (laughs) when it should be things that they've already learned. (laughs) So with this context in mind, we're going to jump into John 17. So in uh, verse 1 through 5, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. As you sent me into the world, so have I, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, so that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That's that's a lot. We are not going to get everything there is to get out of this text in this lifetime, let alone today. Uh, But before we dive into that, I'm just going to open things up here in prayer. Dear God, thank you so much for your salvation, that you came to save us, and that in that salvation, in the time that you were here, you showed us what a perfect human life looks like. We've seen the failings of Adam, and uh, the successes and failures of your prophets throughout the entire scripture, that everybody that tried to live up to your perfect calling to your law could not, and then that you came yourself in the flesh, incarnate to show us what this is supposed to look like so lord may we learn from your example may we learn from your message and may we take to heart the lessons from this passage today thank you for all that you are lord and all that you do in jesus name amen so there's a lot to cover here um a basic outline of the chapter we have in verses one through five jesus praying for himself In verses 6 through 19, Jesus prays for his disciples. And then in verses 20 through 26, Jesus prays for the whole church. He says, not just the ones that you gave me. He starts off by saying the ones that you gave me. And then he transitions to the ones that come from them. So everybody else. Um, I really like the point that D.A. Carson makes here in his commentary on John. He says, in some respects, the prayer is a summary of the entire fourth gospel to this point. Its principal themes include Jesus' obedience to his Father, the glorification of his Father through his death, exaltation, the revelation of God in Christ Jesus, the choosing of the disciples out of the world, their mission to the world, their unity modeled on the unity of the Father and the Son, and their final destiny in the presence of the Father and the Son. To cast this summary in the form of a prayer is not only to anticipate Jesus being lifted up on the cross, but to contribute to the climax of the movement that brings Christ back to God one of the central themes of this farewell discourse diving in here in uh, verses 1 through 5 something that jumps out immediately is that Jesus is asking God to glorify him sometimes that's something that strikes us a little bit odd you know just like when you talk about the attributes of God and talk about the jealousy of God that as humans that can strike us as a, a difficult topic it wouldn't be good for us to be jealous wouldn't be good for us to be seeking our own glory. Um, I believe it was uh, um, oh, I'm not going to remember now. <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, David Platt. Uh, I, I really liked the uh, a point that David Platt made in one of his messages. That he said to, to buckle at this, to see God saying, glorify me, what on earth else would God bring, bring glory to? What on earth else could God glorify or in, or in anything That would be worth glorifying beyond himself. So uh, Jesus is asking to glorify the son. That the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh. Wow. That's a lot of authority. Authority over all flesh. It's funny looking at this. Knowing that God has given Jesus authority over all flesh. Then to see the petty temptations that Satan had for Jesus in the wilderness he takes him out, and he's like, I'll let you rule over all these kingdoms. And Jesus already knows, this is the plan, this is with the Father, that I've been given authority over all flesh. And then I think it's really interesting to see here, too, what does Jesus do with that authority? Jesus turns around and uses that authority, not just to come as a human, to subject himself to the, the things that he's about to subject himself, to subject himself to the will of God to subject himself to death, even death on a cross, the humiliation, the apparent defeat, all of these things that are about to happen. But leading up to this, he just washed the disciples' feet. He just told them, if you want to, to, to be the servant of all, that that's what Jesus does with, all, with authority over all flesh. Um, glorify here uh, means to be clothed with splendor. We know that when Jesus came as a man, when he was flesh incarnate, that he emptied himself. So now is the time for him to reverse that emptying. He emptied himself and came as a man, and now he's about to be glorified again. He's going to reverse this emptying. Uh, I think it's interesting here, too, that he doesn't reverse the incarnation. Jesus bodily rises from the grave. Jesus continues to have a physical body that he took on. To, to save us from our sins, but he ceases to be emptied now when he's bodily resurrected. And then I think it's interesting too to see what, we see what Jesus does with all that authority. What does Jesus do with this glory? He says, glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. That Jesus doesn't take this glory for himself. It's not that he wouldn't be worthy of it, it's not that he hasn't earned it, but Jesus immediately turns around Puts this glory back on the Father. I really like tying this. uh, I I think you can really see the parallel in uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, uh, where Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. Talked before about how if you're not glorifying God, what else is there worth glorifying? God is the thing, the, the being, the one most worthy of glory. But then also, what do humans use glory for? And then this is the behavior that we see from God. You know, constantly the Holy Spirit is glorifying the son and the son is glorifying the father and the father is glorifying the son. It's just amazing to see that interchange. That they build each other up. Um, so, continuing on to the next section, uh, we talked about Jesus praying for himself. Now, this is Jesus praying for the disciples. A few things that jump out at me from this immediately is just the number of times that Jesus says, yours they were. Uh, talks about the disciples that he has are God's. Um, in verse 6, we have, you gave them to me. Yours they were. You gave them to me. Uh, You have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. You have given me. It's just a very recurring theme in this part of the passage. So we often think of the gift of salvation, the good news of salvation. And it's interesting to see Jesus portray it this way. That he's saying these people, that he is saving, are a gift from the Father to him. And then we also have the contrast in this passage of they've been given to God, but we also see their response. They've been given by God to Jesus. We also see their response to this as well, that they have kept your word. Now they know. They have received them uh, and have come to know. They have believed. So we see here that. They were given by God to the son, but we also see their response to this. I'm not trying to dig super deep into free will and election and determinism, um, but I really like what MacArthur says about this in his commentary. He says, in this way, scripture presents the dual realities that God is absolutely sovereign in choosing who will be part of his redeemed people. And also that sinners who reject the gospel bear personal responsibility for refusing God's offer of salvation. To be sure, there's an element of mystery from the human perspective in how these two truths work together in the mind of God. But believers should not go beyond what has been revealed in Scripture and trying to reconcile what their finite minds are incapable of comprehending. If both truths are set forth in God's word, then both should be embraced. Um, I ran across a Puritan writer Richard Baxter that I really like this quote from. It's a little bit long, so bear with me here. But Richard Baxter says in The the Saints Everlasting Rest, salvation was dear to Christ but free to us. Here is all free. If the Father freely give the Son and the Son freely pay the debt, and if God freely accept that way of payment when he might have required it of the principle, and if both Father and Son freely offer us the purchased life on our cordial acceptance, and if they freely sent the Spirit to enable us to accept, what is here then that is not free? Oh, the everlasting admiration that must surprise the saints to think of this freeness. What an astonishing thought it will be in heaven to think of the immeasurable difference between our deservings and our receivings, between the state we should have been in and the state we are in. To look down upon hell and see the vast difference from that to which we were adopted. What pangs of love will it cause us to think? Yonder was the place that sin would have brought me to, but this is it that Christ hath brought me to. Yonder death was the wages of my sin, but this eternal life is the gift of God through Jesus Christ my Lord. But no thanks to us, nor to any of our duties and labors, much less our neglect and laziness, to know to whom the praise is due and must be given forever. So then, let deserved be written on the door of hell, but on the door of heaven and life, the free gift. You don't get so caught up in wrestling through this that you miss the point of what Jesus is praying here. Jesus says, that they may be one, even as we are one. And it's interesting that in this prayer, this topic that Jesus brings up can be such a divisive thing for us sometimes in the church, that we argue over which of these two things that are definitely both true is more true than the other. Missing entirely the point that what Jesus is praying here is for unity, and not not just unity, but they may be one, even as we are one. The unity of the Trinity is what Jesus is praying for for the church here. I just think that's a, an amazing concept. It's a it's an unimaginable unity. So I, there's so much more to pull just out of these verses, but in the interest of trying to make it through this whole passage, I'm going to move on. Um, so then, in uh, verse twelve through nineteen. Jesus is continuing to pray for the disciples. Um, So this is basically kind of a handoff here, it seems. Uh, Jesus is talking about my ministry here on earth is about to end, and then I'm moving on to my ministry in heaven. And it's not that Jesus' ministry doesn't continue in heaven. Jesus' ministry just changes. So he's saying, I have guarded these people. I have taken care of these people. These people that you loved and you've given to me, now I'm asking you would take care of these people. Just like he told them, we talked a couple of weeks ago, about Jesus said, don't worry, I'm leaving, but I'm sending the helper. And it'll actually be better for you. And that was so hard for them to believe because Jesus was there with them and Jesus was doing such amazing things. But he's like, no, it's, it's gonna be better when you have the spirit. So a couple of things that jump out here at me is I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Uh, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And just like Jesus had finished talking to Peter recently. He said Satan demanded to have you and he's going to he wanted to sift you like wheat but I prayed for you that the Father might strengthen you. And then we can see those prayers here that Jesus is praying for his followers that God would sustain them. Uh, sanctification is the believer's ongoing progression towards the likeness of Christ but it's also to be set apart. So Jesus makes it clear here that his followers are still supposed to be in the world despite not being of the world. What's the way that we separate from the world without... How do we separate from the world while we're moving in it? And that's with the sanctifying purity of the word of God. If you're actually going to be separate from the world, if you're going to live differently than the world, if you're going to be sanctified, holy, set apart, and the way to do that is with truth, with God's truth. Your word is truth. Then in verse 19, uh, he says, And for your sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. So this has the, the, been called the high priestly prayer. It doesn't say that anywhere in the book of John. It's just kind of looking back at it. That's the label that has been stuck on this passage for hundreds of years. Um, and that's partially because of this. So in sacrificial terms, the high priest was to be consecrated before the day of atonement. The sacrifice was also to be consecrated. So Jesus acting in, role, in the role of the high priest and in the role of the sacrifice is asking God for consecration he's consecrating himself for the purpose that his followers may be sanctified in his truth continuing on in verse 20 he says I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word so this is the shift from praying specifically for the apostles like he told Peter he was to praying for the church the the believers to come And we notice here that even though these are people that Jesus did not pour into as directly, that that's still what he's praying for, that he says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may be one, even as we are one. That they may become perfectly one. The unity of the church is of huge importance. Just as Jesus taught them earlier this same night that they have to abide in his love, The world will know that they are his disciples, that we are his disciples because of our love for one another. We see the start of this at Pentecost where the spirit descends on the church and brings unity and life. And there's one church, one spirit, one hope, one Lord. So with those things to unify us, the the, the, the unity of the, the Trinity is beyond our reach on earth. But we have to unify us, one church. One spirit, one hope, one Lord. Uh, In verse 22, he says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. So, what glory is Jesus talking about here? His glorification is about to come. So, I think we see this in the answer to this question in Romans 8. Um, where it says uh, that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. I like how D.A. Uh, Carson puts this. He says, It may be that the text is telling us that our true glory is the way of the cross. That way is vindicating by the glory of triumph later. But already we have something of Jesus' glory in as much as we, like Him, are to endure the enmity of the world and walk as suffering servants. This is our glory, not our shame. Um, and then, quoting somebody, quoting somebody, <laughs> uh, Carson says, W. Barclay comments, we must never think of our cross as our penalty. We must think of it as our glory. The harder the task we give a student or a craftsman or a surgeon, the more we honor him with that task. So when it's hard to be a Christian, we must regard it as our glory and as our honor given to us by God. And in, uh, in verse 25 and wrapping up the end of this chapter he says, "O righteous father even though the world does not know you I know you and these know you, oh I'm sorry these know that you have sent me I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them so I love thinking about this in relationship to the the Hebrew series that we're going through with Pastor Nathan right now. Uh, Pastor Nathan said Jesus is the indestructible guardian of a superior covenant. That's why this is the high priestly prayer. That's what separates Jesus' sacrifice from all of the sacrifices to come before. Uh, to go back to Carson again, he says that Jesus is the ultimate priest, he's the ultimate sacrifice, his flesh is the veil. His shattered, broken body is the shattered, broken temple that rises on the third day in order to become the real meeting place between God and sinful people. Just to reflect on what Jesus' sacrifice looks like in comparison to the Old Testament examples. You know, we have the Day of Atonement was the day where the high priest would separate themselves from the rest of the congregation. They would specifically purify themselves, they would remove all of their vestments, they'd wash themselves, they'd put on simple garments, and then for that day alone, they'd wear this, this uh, gown with bells on it, so that if God struck them dead in his presence, because of their lack of holiness, they could be dragged out by a rope. That was the access that people had to God. And that access was restricted because the first line of priests, Aaron's sons, offered uh, a sacrifice that was unacceptable. And they, uh, they gave strange fire, and they were struck dead by God. And that's when the Day of Atonement was established, that essentially you'll follow all of these procedures, and you'll do this just on this specific day. So then we have through Jesus, the ultimate priest, we then have Christ's broken body giving us the actual meeting place, access to God from man, not from one specific person on a specific day, But constant access to the Father. I think we see this really well in in Hebrews 10. Uh, The author of Hebrews says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The author of Hebrews takes this atonement, the sacrifice of God, and then the unity that Christ prays for for the church and puts them. These concepts go so well together, one God, one purpose. So that was a lot. We're just about out of time. Um, A couple of questions that I thought might kind of help, I can click the right place, for, for thinking through this. But where there are divisions, what unity can light have with darkness? What good divisions what unnecessary divisions can we minimize to make the cause of Christ paramount? How can we further the cause of one church, one spirit, one hope, one Lord? And The question that we've been asking constantly through this whole series is who is this good news for? Knowing primarily the first person this is good news for is me. But then moving on from that, who else needs to know this about the superior covenant, about, about Christ's sacrifice? about the, the veil that's been torn and the access that we have and about the unity that we should have as the church. So uh, if, you, uh, if you are able to make it to uh, one of the, the small groups on Tuesday or Thursday, this is probably some of the questions that will go over there. And then that took uh, all of our time. So I'm going to go ahead and close this out in prayer. And then it looks like there's still some coffee left in the back. And Oh, God, thank you so much for your sacrifice. Thank you so much for this covenant that you have redeemed man so many times. Um, Lord, thank you for, for granting man access to you at all in the limited way that man had access to you in the Old Testament. But Lord, thank you so much more for tearing down that veil, for opening access between us and you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to constantly seek you in prayer. That our view of your power, of your plan, of your sovereignty would cause us to seek you more in prayer and not less. Thank you, God, for your, for your plan, for your covenant, uh, for the access that you made for all of us, Lord. And I just pray for, for everybody you would give us opportunities to share this truth, this covenant, this grace with uh, with people that we run into throughout this week. Thank you, Lord, for all that you are and all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, it, is, uh, it is wrap-up time, but I don't think anybody's kicking us out. So like I said, you're welcome to grab some more coffee or, or hang out and chat for a bit. Thank you so much. Sorry for all the location change and yelling at you with no microphone for, for half an hour. Appreciate you guys sticking with me. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you would like to get plugged into a small group, just text HB Converge to 81010 and you will get the text reminders for all the small groups. If you have any questions, just respond to one of those text reminders and it will go to our leadership team and they will be able to respond to you directly.